I want to just kind of jump on the heels of what uh, uh, Bob Hamp, that's who that was, uh, uh, what he was just sharing. I, you know, years ago in my real estate business, I knew a guy that, uh, you know, just, I mean, he and I became very, very good friends. And uh, it, it, probably 12, 15 years ago, he was out of my life and um, I uh, occasionally would run into him in Albuquerque, but just, you know, I mean, we weren't close anymore. And about a week ago, uh, maybe 10 days ago, I started thinking about this guy. Just started, you know, thinking, I just, you know, just his thought, his name, his face would come into my mind. I think about him throughout the day and I thought about calling and, and uh, just kind of put it on the back burner, never did anything. And then a couple of nights ago, I think it was on Thursday night, uh, I had this dream, and in my dream, it was just real intense. He was in my dream. I was seeing his face in the dream, and I thought, well, the next day, I, you know, I'm not going to put this off anymore. I'm going to, I want to call the guy and see what's going on in his life. And so, uh, as I made the call, you know how it is. You make that call, and everything's just, how's it going? Fine. Everything's good, you know. Everything's superficial. And, um, and finally, I got to the place, and I just said, because I, I felt like this is what was going on. I felt like this was the issue. I said, how's your finances? And there was a long pause, and he said, Ron, I've lost it all. I've lost it all. And then he said, he said, um, I need a double hip replacement. And he says, but I can't get the hip replacement because he says, oh, he said that when I went in and uh, they were doing the, uh, the um, whatever it is, the test, uh, they found out that in addition to the hip replacements, I have a bad heart. So I have a hip, double hip replacement scheduled, and I have a heart operation scheduled in February of next year. But he said, I can't get either one because I have a gum infection, and I don't have the money to pay for the gum infection. And he said, without treating the gum infection, I can't have any infection or any bacteria in my body because they're, they're afraid that it would affect the, you know, the hip and the other surgeries that he's having. And I'm thinking, man, you know, why didn't I call sooner? You know, why didn't I call sooner? And I, guys, I just want to tell you that I believe by the end of the day that you're, you're going to be sensitive like that too. Then when God puts someone on your heart or on your mind, don't hesitate, don't delay. Um, so let's get into the Word. In John chapter 14... Um, Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he says, In my Father's house there are many mansions, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I've read that over and over again, and, you know, it's kind of a complex um, statement that Jesus made. What is it? I mean, are there many places in his Father's house? And if they're so, what is he doing? What is he preparing for us? I mean, what, you know, what gives here? In my Father's house there's many mansions, and I, I, he says, you know, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm thinking, all right, you know, if there's already some places there, you know, what's going on? So the more I look into it, the more that I find out that Jesus is really talking about a traditional Jewish wedding. And in a traditional Jewish wedding, this is what happens. The father picks a bride for uh, his son and uh, kind of reminds me of the story of uh, the little boy that's reading National Geographic, and, you know, he's reading, reading the story about other cultures, and he says, Dad, Dad, he said, did you know in some cultures men don't know who their wives are until they get married? And the father responds, he says, Son, it's like that in every culture. <laughs> but uh, 
So, but, but in, that, in that setting, in that Jewish culture, the, the father would go and he would, you know, cut a deal. He'd make a deal with a, you know, with a, a friend of his, a relative of his, or someone, and, and actually, you know, say that this is going to be, it could happen at a very young age. It could happen 10, 11, 12 years old, and the marriage might not take place for five, six years or so. And so, um, I'm glad that my dad didn't do that for me. Um, and I bet some of you are as well. But anyway, so... Uh, so they, you know, this is the, what this is what he's saying, and I want us to look at uh, Matthew chapter twenty-five. Matthew chapter twenty-five comes on the heels, obviously, of Matthew chapter twenty-four, and he's talking about. Remember those three questions that the disciples asked. Number one, um, when will the temple, you know, be destroyed? Number two, what are the signs of your coming? Number three, you know, when uh, when will you take, you know, rule, or uh, when will the uh, millennium come? And he kind of like answers those questions. And remember, he talks about two will be, you know, uh, on the rooftop. One will be taken. Two will be out in the field. One will be taken. One will be, you know, be left. And uh, then he goes right into Matthew chapter 24. And he just elaborates with other parables about those things. And uh, the one that I want to talk about this morning is, uh, is the, the ones that would be taken and the ones that would be left. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Okay, this is that same traditional Jewish wedding. Everything's been set up. Um, the, the father, you know, the, in the typical Jewish household, the father might have a compound. I'm very much like we have here in New Mexico or northern New Mexico. I mean, compounds were very, you know, I, I keep telling Nina, I want to have one. You know, I, I, I just like the idea, you know, having family close by. Uh, Donald kind of has kind of that, that situation, you know, where you, you live and the family's just all real close. Well, the father would have this house and the main house, maybe the dining area, the main area would all be there. And then you would just add on. If you were going to get married, you'd just add on a little casita for your wife. And as the family grew, you would... <laughs> Did I say that right? <laughs> you'd add on a little casita. Oh, No. That's what I mean, yeah. The, <laughs> the, the, the father would allow the son to add on to the little, uh, to the compound, a casita. All right, got, you guys got to stay with me. And so, so the, and, and so after the, the, the son would build a little bit, and he'd get everything ready, and, you know, the, the father would realize that the son has, you know, got things together, then, you know, it would be a great day, and it would be okay. Go get, go get your wife. And so he would go, there'd be a great procession, and typically they would spend, you know, about seven days at the father's house, and then they would go back, and they would spend time with the, uh, the, the uh, wife's family. And so, um, you know, it, it, this is kind of, you know, what's going on in this story here. And so it says, the kingdom of heaven will be like the ten virgins that took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but they did not take any oil with them. I, you know, guys, that we can just think about all kind of things that that represents. Um, you know, typically oil in the scripture represents the, the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit's presence. But what, whatever it was, they, they just, you know, in their life, and we can kind of equate it to our lives today, what would make you and I, what would make us not ready for the return of the Lord? It says, the foolish ones took their lamps but did not take oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in their jars along with their lamps. And the bridegroom was a long time in coming. And they all became drowsy and they fell asleep. But at midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom. Come out and meet him. All the virgins woke up. Notice that. They're all virgins. 
They woke up, they trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us. Instead, you go to those that sell oil and buy some from yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy oil, you know, I mean, there's just so much in this. I mean, what, you know, are, are, are we preoccupied? Are, are you thinking about other things? Are you, are you so, you know, caught up in this world that you're just, you know, it, what, what it's saying is that they weren't ready. They weren't ready. And so it, it says that, but while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived. And the virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. And, and the symbolism there is very much like, you know, in, in uh, Genesis chapter 7, the Bible says that God told Noah to build this ark, and he's working forever on this ark. And, uh, you know, day in and day out, he and his sons are working, they're gathering. But one day, God says, I mean, it was just, you know, just a regular day. It was just like the day before, but God spoke. To Noah, the work on the ark is done. He says, go in. Take you and your family. Go in. And the Bible says that the door was closed. And did you know that the Bible says that the, the, the whole ark was sealed with pitch? And pitch was put around the door, sealing that door in. You know what the Hebrew word for that is? It's kafar. And it means atonement. And so... Noah is in the ark when the waters of judgment are coming upon the world, upon this, the entire earth. Mo Noah and his sons and their wives are in the ark, you know, safe from the judgment floods. We'll talk about that a little bit more. And here it says, and uh, it says that, and the door was shut, shut, verse 11. And later the others came and said, Sir, sir. And they said, uh, Open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth. I do not know you. Now, now, we can find an example, I mean, an incredible example of this Jewish ceremony in this story, but I want to show you one uh, in the Old Testament as well. Remember, you know, I, I say this constantly, and I, I just I, I want to quicken your hearts and your minds. When you're reading the Old Testament, look for these, uh, these incredible pictures and stories within a story. And so when we get to, remember... Um, we see these types and shadows. In uh, Genesis chapter 22, we read about where Abraham, who represents, don't say Abraham. <laughs> All right, he's kind of a picture of God the Father, right? And his son Isaac in Genesis chapter 2 is kind of a picture of Jesus, right? And so remember that Abraham takes Isaac up to the mountain. He's going to sacrifice him. You see that? Oh, you see that story there? So by the time we get to Genesis chapter 24, we got something very similar going on here in Genesis chapter 24. We'll pick it up. Um, Abraham was now old and well advanced in age and years, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. And he said to his chief servant, now we know from other chapters in Genesis that his chief servant was called Eleazar. He says, but in this story, this entire story about Abraham's servant, Never mentions him by name because he is a type of New Testament character, the Holy Spirit, all right? He says he is a servant. He says to the chief servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my, under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, 
and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives, to the country of my own relatives, and get a wife for my son Isaac. Abraham's taken, he's well in age. It says, Abraham's taken this, this position very serious. God has already promised Abraham that he was going to have descendants like the stars. He said, if you can count the sand of the sea, if you can count the stars in the heaven, that's how many descendants you're going to have. And so uh, Abraham's taken this very serious. And uh, so he's got to pick, you know, the right woman. And so we pick up here. The servant, is, you know, he's got a lot of questions about it, but being a, a faithful servant, he takes off. So in this story, we've got Abraham representing God the Father, Isaac representing uh, Jesus' son, the servant representing the Holy Spirit, and Rebecca, we'll find out later on, representing the church or the bride. The servant took ten of his master's camels, and he left, taking with him all of, uh, kinds of goods from his master, and he set out to Aram Nahorim and made his way down to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time the women go out to draw water. I notice this. Then he prayed, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, give me success today. Show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring, and the daughters of the town people are coming down to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, please. Now notice that he's putting, kind of putting God to the test here. He's spelling it out. He wants to be very clear. God, I want to make very sure that the woman that shows up is really the woman that you have chosen for my master, Abraham. And he says, see, I'm standing beside this spring, and the daughters of the town people are coming down to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, drink, and I will water your camels too. Let her be the one that you have chosen for your servant, Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. And so he's not leaving any wiggle room at all. I mean, this is it. God, this is how I'm going to know for sure that this is the girl that you have chosen. And so, uh, you know, uh, we'll pick up here, but I, I want you to think about it. Remember how many camels that he had? Ten. You know how many gallons of water a camel can drink at one time? You want to take a stab at it? Twenty. 20 gallons of water. So if you've got 10 camels, 20 gallons of water, who's doing the math? 200, okay. And so let's say that she's carrying about a three-gallon water jar. How much does water weigh a gallon? Eight. Yeah, a little over eight pounds, 8.3 something, okay. So, uh, you know, every jar of water, if she's carrying, carrying three gallons, so, you know, she's got, uh, you know, about 24 gallons, that's quite a, a weight. Isn't it, girls? Is that a lot of water? It's like three gallons of milk at one time, all right, carrying on your shoulder or on your head, however you'd carry those. And you know what? If you can find a woman that's willing to carry that much water for your camp, I'd say go for her. <laughs> I mean, she, this is a good woman right here. But, you know, so he's praying. He's already asked God, you know, he's already kind of like put the test out there. God, this is what I want to see. And, uh, you know, but... I, I, I'm just wondering, and I can't help but wonder because this is the way my mind is, you know, just like I'm uh, praying, oh, God, you know, just uh, right, this this got to be the right woman. Let her, you know, she's going to give me a drink of water. She's going to water my camels. And then you start praying, and uh, 
I mean, honestly, just think about it. You know, just in your mind, how many women do you think got to pass by before you find the right one? You know, I mean, one might be willing to give you a drink, but are they going to water your camel? And so I'm thinking this guy's thinking, man, how many days am I going to have to sit at this spring before the right one comes along? But I want to tell you that, uh, you know, God is good. Our God is good. Now listen to this, verse 15. I, I love this right here. Before he had, help me, finished praying. Before he had finished praying, Rebecca came out with a jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever lain with her. And she went down to the spring. She filled her jar and came up again. And the servant hurried to meet her and said, Please give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. And after she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they finish drinking. So she quickly emptied the jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw more water and drew enough for all of his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. Some of your translations will say that he gazed. He gazed at her. It's the only time that that word appears in the Bible. And it means to stare in wonder. I mean, I think this guy is in absolute awe. I set a test before God. I'm saying, I'm waiting for a woman to show up and give me a drink of water and water all of my camels. And before I even finish praying, here comes a woman, gives me a drink of water and offers to give my camels water as well. I mean, this is just like, I, I mean, I think that, you know, the servant is just like blown away at this point. And it says that he says nothing. He's just kind of staring there, just kind of watching, wondering if God had made his, his journey successful. And it's obvious that God did not want him to miss the sign. I mean, he, he asked for uh, a prayer. He prayed a prayer uh, asking God specifically, you know what? You know, how many times do we do this? We might ask God for something specifically, like I want a husband and I want him to be this, this, and this. And when one guy shows up about, with about half of those qualifications, you're like, praise God, you know. God has answered my prayer or a wife or a job, and we're willing to settle for less when God wants to bless you bigger. You know, what's the scripture say? That eye has not seen and ear has not heard the, the things that God has got in store for us. And, you know, sometimes we sell ourselves for so much less. I want you to just think about this for a second. You know, before, you know, how long did, how far did Rebecca live from the well or the spring? I mean, did she live 10 minutes away, 20 minutes away, a half an hour away? How long did it take her to get to the well? Was she already on her way when uh, the servant started praying? Had she already started her journey? Well, let me just tell you that, you know, that this was her destiny in life. This, this well, this encounter was Rebecca's destiny in life. And God sent her from the, from the moment that she was conceived in the womb, she was headed for that well. She had a destiny. She had a call, a purpose in her life. I'm going to tell you that you do too. You do as well. And sometimes we will get sidetracked. Let's pick it up again, verse 22. When the camel had finished drinking, 
The man took out a gold nose ring weighing about a becca, uh, two gold bracelets weighing about a tenth of a shekel, or ten shekels, I'm sorry. Um, let me read it to you in, a, uh, in the message translation so you can understand what he's paying. The man brought out gifts, a gold nose ring weighing a little over a quarter of an ounce. Gold is about $1,500 an ounce right now, so whatever that comes out to. <laughs> and uh, it says, uh, and two arm bracelets weighing about four ounces each and gave them to her. Um, two arm bracelets, four ounces. Uh, silver is about $20 an ounce. So, I mean, he's being very generous here with the young lady. Then he asked, whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room at your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, bore to, the son that Milcah bore to Nahor. And she added, we have plenty of straw and fodder, and fodder as well as uh, room for you to spend the night. And the man bowed down and worshiped the Lord, saying, praise be to the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord led me on a journey to the house of my master's relative. It was exactly, exactly, God directed his steps. I'm going to just run through a couple of points here um, and, and before we wrap this up. Just three things that jump out at me. Seeking God through prayer. I, lo I love verse 15. It says, before he finished praying, Rebekah came out with the jar on her shoulder. Listen to what Isaiah says. Now, I know that, you know, guys, I, I know how we think. We think that that's for him. That, that's, that was great for his servant. That was great for Rebecca. That was great for, for Abraham. And you remove yourself from the story and from the equation. But I want to tell you that the Bible says that God is not a respecter of persons. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He cares for you just like he cares for that servant, for Abraham. I mean, you are just as important to him as Abraham was, as, as uh, Isaac was. This whole story is not just about them. See yourself in the story. Listen to what Isaiah says in chapter 65. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. You know what? That's talking about you. While I was speaking, listen to this about Daniel. While I was speaking and praying and confessing my sins and the sins of my people Israel and making my request to God, uh, to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man that I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in a swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. And he instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and an understanding. As soon as you begin to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. I don't think that story is just about Daniel. That story is about you as well. Um, what did I do? Don't do that. Okay, the next thing I want us to, to look at is that seeking God for success. That's what uh, the servant said. He was concerned about being successful. God of my master Abraham, give me success today. Listen to what Joshua says about success. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according that all is written in it. For then, if you're, if you're doing that, if you're faithful to the word of God, then you will make your way, uh, he will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. And in 2 Chronicles, it's talking about King Uzziah. 
It says he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father uh, Amaziah had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. And the third point that I want us to look at is that God will give you guidance. As we, as we journey through life, guys, I want to just tell you, sometimes we get lost. We get sidetracked in life. And it says that uh, the Lord has led me. This is what the servant has said. The Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relative. God has led him. God has directed his life. Isaiah chapter 42 says, I will lead the blind along an unfamiliar way. I will guide them uh, down paths that they have never traveled. I will turn the darkness in front of them into light and the level ground or level, level out the rough ground. This is what I will do for them. I will not abandon them. This is what God's saying. When you're lost and you can't find your way, God's saying, I will turn on the light. I'll make a clear way so that you can figure out which way you're supposed to go. You don't have to flounder in the dark. You don't have to, you know, just wonder, you know, is this the right path that you're supposed to be on? Listen to Psalm 32. I love this scripture. I will instruct you, says the Lord, and guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch your progress. I want to just tell you that if, if you don't have a life verse, this is a good one to write down. I will instruct you, says the Lord, and guide you along the best pathway for your life. You know what? There are a lot of choices that we can accept in life, a lot of, a lot of different avenues and paths, and I'm not talking about salvation. I'll get to that in just a moment. But I'm just talking about, you know, God, what's my purpose? What's my call? What's my gifting? You know, because if you're not walking in that, if you're not walking in your call and your gifting and your purpose in life, that you're kind of missing it. It's just like you're out here on the edge. Yeah, you may be saved and you're kind of going through life, but God's saying, the best, he said, I, I want to guide you along the best pathway for your life. I think about, you know, this guy, you know, uh, the servant, you know, I, I just think about, you know, what was going on in his heart and his mind again. Um, you know, while he was busy thinking about the right words to say, the correct words to say, you know, trying to maybe impress God like sometimes you and I try to do. While he was doing that, Rebecca was on her way. And I'm going to just say this to you this morning. Maybe Rebecca is on her way for you. Now, what does that mean? That could be a marriage, a husband, a wife, a school, an education, a job, an opportunity, a healing, health. But are you so preoccupied with just distractions that you can't recognize that Rebecca is on her way? That God, the moment that you started praying, released Rebecca and she is on her way to you right now. Right now. I want to go back to our original story of in Matthew. I want to talk about these five virgins for just a moment that weren't quite ready. They were on their way to buy oil when the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, others came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. No, 
I came across this lyrics of a song that we've all heard before. Some of you going to, you know, um, criticize me for playing this in church. But it represents a real world view that some people have, maybe even some of you have this morning. Not a right world view, but I promise you, you know someone that embraces this world view. I want you to just listen, listen to the, to, the, to the words, and I've got them on the overhead so you can read them as well, and then I'm going to come back and make a couple of comments on it. song is called, So Where To Now, St. Peter. He says, if it's true, if the message of the Bible is true, then I'm in your hands. I, I, I guess they get that from the church, or the world kind of gets that from the church, because, you know, that's what we think, that Peter's standing there holding the keys, and, you know, if this message is true, then I'm in your hands. And, and what are the options? And he's not in Peter's hands, I'm going to tell you that right now. And see, and this is the mindset of the world. You know, what are his options? If he's standing there before Peter, and we know that it's life and death, it's heaven and hell, are you someone St. Peter this morning? So where to now, St. Peter? Where do I go now? What are my options? Do I get in or not? And then he goes on to say, well, listen to the scripture. In Acts chapter 17, God says, it says that he has set a day. It won't be St. Peter that's judging people, okay, on that day. That God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice 
by the man that he has appointed. He has given proof to this to all men by raising him from the dead. Do we know who it's talking about? Do we know who the Bible's talking about here? The one that has been raised from the dead? Do I need to put a name with it? No, I don't. We know it's Jesus. And then he goes on to say, I may not be a Christian, but I've done all one man can. I've gone, I, I, I'm like Cain. I brought my offering, God. I brought my offering. I brought my sacrifice. I did it my way. And see, and if you're believing that, and there are people in your life that you know that believe that, that, you know, God, you just got to accept my life the way that it is. You know, I, I, I like Christianity. Jesus is just all right with me, as, uh, you know, the group sang many years ago. But I want to tell you that Jesus better be more than just all right with you. He better be your Lord, and he better be your Savior on that day when you're standing there before him. So when I say that I may not be a Christian, but I've done all that one man can, what I'm relying on is myself and my good works to get me into heaven, which is a slap in the face of Almighty God. Because God is saying, you know what? Did you see what my son just went through? Did you see how he was tortured? Did you see how he was beaten? Did you see how he was spat upon? Did you see that crown of thorn that was placed upon his head? Did you know that he was sinless? Did you understand that? And you're telling me that you can get in on your own? Wrong answer. Listen to this, Ephesians chapter 2. Because of his kindness, talking about God's kindness, you have been saved through trusting Christ. And even trusting is not of yourselves. It is, too, a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good that we have done. I, you know, I've done all that one man can. Salvation is not a reward for what we've done. So none of us can take any credit. And then this next verse, he says, I understand I'm on a road where all that was is gone. And what that means is life is over. Life is over, and he's standing before, he's standing before God about to give an account for his life. But at that point, it's too late. St. Peter can't save him at that point. We have to make our choices and our decisions right now. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, 27, it's appointed for man once to die, but after this, the judgment. So where to now, St. Peter? Show me the road I'm on. And I want to just say to you, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know this morning which road you're on, you're not on the right road. I just got to tell you that. I got to be honest with you. You are not on the right road. I mean, I hear, I mean, we know about uh, Elton John's lifestyle. We know, you know, same-sex marriage, homosexuality. Uh, but I'm just wondering if this song is not just really a cry from his heart, you know, is, would somebody please tell him who's going to be his St. Peter and tell him before it's too late, not when he's standing before the judgment seat of God. Now, some of you may think that this was offensive to play, play in church. You, wanted, you want me to tell you what I think is offensive? For your friends not to know what the Bible says about salvation. That's what I think is offensive. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, it says, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road. Which road am I on? Broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only 
A few find it. Only a few find it.